number 21764. Uh, Mr. Wilkins, good to have you with us, sir. Thank you, Your Honor. My name is Billy Wilkins, and at council table with me is Colin Ram. The Supreme Court in the Alton decision described the NCAA and its university and college members as a massive business enterprise in which everybody associated with it, including Adidas, which is a financial sponsor of the University of Louisville, made millions, indeed billions of dollars. It was also a business, the Supreme Court said, that would be flatly illegal almost anywhere else in the United States because the laborers, the student athletes, were unlawfully restrained. So <clears throat> why would any high school superstar athlete like Brian Bowen even consider offering his labor and his talents at great personal sacrifice to go to a Division I university and play basketball there? Well, it's because early in his life, encouraged by his coaches, he decided to pursue a career as a professional basketball player in the NBA. And to pursue this career realistically, there was only one place to go. That's the University Division I basketball teams. As the Supreme Court recognized in Austin, the NCAA is the only, and I quote, relevant market for athletic services in men's and women's basketball. There is no viable substitute. Mr. Wilkins, do you agree that uh, your client, he received all the compensation he could possibly get when he was participating in that market, when he was playing or eligible or even not eligible, but uh, still in college, he received the maximum compensation he could receive as a college athlete. He did. Your arguments about his hopes that it would lead to a professional career. Well, that's, that's the ultimate goal, but his hope was to obtain what he was entitled to under his athletic tender agreement. That is, to the best coaching could be offered in the United States anywhere, the best athletic facility, the best conditioning, the best physical training, the best nutrition, all of those things that were stripped away from him because of this bribe that was paid to his daddy. Mr. Wilkins, let me ask you about that, because I, I agree. You're, it seems that he expected for that. He hoped for that. He maybe even thought it was far more likely than not. But let me ask you this. Say he gets to Louisville, and they, they don't pull a scholarship. They allow him to attend Louisville. They honor his scholarship, and they say, you know, we're not going to give you those things for whatever reason. Could he have sued the University of Louisville for breach of contract? You know, actually, I think he could have. I, it would not be realistic to think you would sue your own coaches, but realistically... Wait, what, what authority... Because I, I looked, and, and I couldn't find it, but maybe I'm... What authority under Kentucky law suggests that he could have maintained a viable suit against the University of Louisville, who, again, in this hypothetical, is giving him his scholarship, he's enrolled at Kentucky... Sorry, Louisville, excuse me. Um, but, you know, if he sued them for breach of not coaching or breach of nutrition or breach of all these other benefits... What authority do you have for the proposition that under Kentucky law he would have had a viable breach of contract claim against Louisville? <clears throat> Just like um, a business license issued by a county or a city 
or a pilot's license, commercial issued by the FAA, or a, a recognition of de facto tenure by a college, or a certificate of eligibility that he had. This entitled him to certain things. When he signed, because of that eligibility certificate, he was able to accept and did accept that athletic tender agreement. You know, I, I understand and, that sometimes it, people are entitled to benefits that are not expressly written down, but that's a matter of generally state law. What is the authority for the proposition that these types of benefits would support a breach of contract action under Kentucky law? And he had an entitlement under Kentucky law, in fact, every state just that I know of, and in federal law. He had an entitlement, and that entitlement... I mean, he can assert anything he wants, but what is the evidence that he has a legal right that would be recognized in Kentucky? He had an entitlement based upon the policies and the practices and the traditions to receive these things that he agreed to give his labor for. And if it was denied him improperly, he could bring a lawsuit against the University of Louisville or whomever denied him, in this case Adidas, of that right. Now, I realize, Your Honor, that we... But you aren't suing under contract. No, sir. You're, You're not suing, suing under RICO. That's right. You're suing under RICO. That's what we're faced with here is whether you... It's a RICO case, but, but Judge Anderson threw it out on standing, didn't he? Yes, sir. That's right. That's the big issue here. That is the issue. He had an entitlement, and it was stripped away from him because of the bribe that was paid to his father. The district court says he doesn't have standing to sue. He said that did not have because the district court did not understand. Well, how's that error? That's what we got to figure. Well, out. it's error because the district court said, "Well, he got his scholarship. He's still at Louisville. He could have stayed there for four years, I guess, but he left after one semester to try to pursue best he could." his athletic career. But the scholarship was not what was at issue here. He could have gotten that same scholarship from 50 universities because they all offered the same scholarship. He didn't go to Louisville because of the outstanding chemical laboratory of the math department. He went there because he was entitled to the best coaching. He was promised the best coaching. And all of those other things that the NCAA says, these are We're called... We're back to the contract then and and there is a contract, and it's written down, and we're supposed to look at the contract and see what each side agreed to. Now, there, there might be evidence outside the contract about, you know, they tried to get me to come by saying, oh, I was going to get the best coaching. I was going to get early minutes. But the contract says that we will give you tuition, and we will, give you, we will pay for all of these things, and you will come, uh, you know, you will come to our school. There's why am I looking outside the contract to figure out what his uh, property is in the contract? Well, there was no integration clause in this contract, period. Number two. Does that mean, I mean, under the law, just because there's an integration clause, I can look outside to any what any external evidence of intent was? Yes. I don't think so. I do. <laughs> yes. If, he's a, this, if the contract's unambiguous, we look at the contract. The contract, we look at tradition, we look at the intent of the parties, we look at what has gone on in the past, we look at custom, to see what was implicitly understood by the parties. And there is no mistake here, really, Your Honor, that it was understood by Brian, 
Louisville, the coaches, indeed the NCAA, that these are the things that he would receive because that's what the these schools, Division One schools, bargain with. We got the best coaches. We got a two hundred thirty-seven million dollar facility. We got the best nutritional program. We you you need to gain at least twenty pounds, but not fat. You need muscle. We got this nutrition, but that's how they sell the school, and so is it's implicitly called, implied. Is indeed, that all called parole evidence in the context of this case. Beyond the terms of the contract. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you, in fact, you look at the NCAA bylaws. Well outside the specific provisions of the contract and prove all this other stuff. Well, you, absolutely you do. Because if you've got a contract that is, does not have an integration clause, you can look to tradition. What was the intent of the parties? Indeed, you look to the NCAA bylaws. To make a RICO out of it, you've got to have a bunch of predicate acts which constitute crime. That's right. The, the, and what are your what are your predicate acts that you would prove here? The predicate act here was when Adidas facilitated the payment of a bribe to his daddy, and that led directly, directly, to him being declared in a state of being recognized as a state. Well, of what are the federal fraud. crimes that arise there? Mail fraud or? Wire fraud. Yeah, that's right. Mail fraud. Wire fraud. All of that. And that's not, that's not really an issue before the court. It's not contested here. That happened. And they falsified the records of Adidas to cover up the payments? That's, they did. Can I go back? We've been talking just, about... I mean, we're just talking about this one fellow. I mean, it, it, this looks kind of bad for, for the college basketball <laughs> programs. Go ahead. Can I ask you, so we were talking about rights that he may or may not have under a contract, but of course RICO doesn't refer to injured in your contracts. It says injured in your business or property. And I see a lot of discussion in the briefs about what property does and doesn't mean, but very little discussion of what injured in your business means. Could you tell me how does your client, what does your client think an injury in his business means and why does your client satisfy it? Or are are you relying solely on the word property? I guess that's the other question. I'm just trying to parse his, out business versus property and what they do and mean and where they overlap and where they don't. His certificate of eligibility that was issued to him was his key to open that door to Division I basketball. And with that came that athletic tender agreement that provided all of these benefits. Sure, and in the language of RICO, is that that key, is that a business key or a property key? Because Rico doesn't it's, say it's injured a, in your key. It says injured in your key. It's hard business. to make the distinction. Is it a business or a property? It certainly is a property interest that he had. Just like an FAA pilot's license or a uh, business license issued by a county. It is something that is he had that was the only thing that could open that door for him to pursue that career. And it was a property interest. Indeed, Adidas' president testified in his deposition. Yes, he said, I acknowledge that a certificate of eligibility has significant value, to use his words. And that's what this young man had. And it was stripped away. So you think that anything that has significant value is business or property under RICO? I can think of lots of things that have value that I wouldn't necessarily think of as business or property. Well, there may be value in many intrinsic ways, I guess, Your Honor, and I, I don't disagree with what you say, but this had real value in, in, in terms of making a lot of money, and that's what the expert said. Stephen Bratz, he's been the NCAA for 
<clears throat> over 36 years as a player, as a coach, as a scout, as a personnel professional evaluator, and he testified in his opinion, if this certificate of eligibility had not been stripped away from Brian Bowen, he would have been two years out a first choice NBA draft choice. He would have gone and he would have been either between 16 and 21. And if you look at the pay chart, now this is all... Does the certificate uh, of eligibility, though, have independent uh, value as business or property apart from converting it into a contract? You know, there are, you have to maintain eligibility from a young age, right? There are high school students who are maintaining their eligibility, but a lot of them don't have what it takes, right? They... It means it's valuable, but it's it's not a business or a property interest, perhaps, until they turn it into a contract or an agreement to play for a certain school. Or um, um, I think there might be a connection there. That you know, is that eligibility valuable? Is it business and property by itself, apart from the contract? Well, I think it is, Your Honor. I mean, it, it's the key. If you don't have this key, this certificate of eligibility, you can't get in the door. But the door is shut. A, but, but it's not enough by itself. No, but it give, But that property, but that certificate, just like the FAA issues a commercial pilot's license, that license itself sits in his desk, but it gives him the right to get with that commercial airline and get a job and fly that commercial plane, just like this certificate of eligibility. Put him in that very rare category of students, athletic students, young high school students, who can go into a Division I school with a four-year no-cut contract, be guaranteed all of these things to increase his athletic ability that would springboard him to be a number one draft choice, according to the experts. And by the way, that's undisputed. Adidas offers no testimony that had this thing, been, this eligibility not been stripped from him, he would have been a first choice, draft choice, a first uh, first draft. The and uh, NCAA schools are what the farm teams for the NBA. Is that what? Yes, sir. That's the structure of it all. In fact, you can't get to the NBA hardly unless you come from Europe, someplace else. Unless you go to Division One basketball team in this country, as the Supreme Court said, that's they have a monopoly. This is it. You got to go to a Division One school, and you need to play. And of course, in the the rules require you to stay out of high school for at least one year. So you can either sit around or do nothing, or you can play basketball <coughs> at a top flight school. And of course, everybody who <coughs> tries to get to the NBA, that's what they want to do, and that's what this young man did. But and he Rico, took this. This Rico statute was racketeering, uh, influenced, and corrupt organizations was set up to combat uh, organized crime. It wasn't supposed to be stretched to this kind of stuff, was it? Well, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of argument that that's the case. <clears throat> but RICO has been stretched uh, and interpreted much more broadly than even perhaps uh, some of the drafters of this uh, statute visualized. But there's no question here, this is not an issue, that this is a RICO violation, if it is one at all, that's what it is. No one says it's not a RICO uh, <clears throat> to, 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 for this conspiracy to offer this bribe to, to his father to encourage him 
to ensure that he went to the University of Louisville. And that's, that was the purpose of the whole scheme, to get this young man who was a top-flight student athlete to go to Louisville, not somewhere else, Louisville. And that's where he ended up going, and that's where he gave his labors and said, I'm in return, in return, I want all of these things that you've guaranteed that I'm going to have. Agreed, Your Honor, it was not in writing, but it doesn't have to be. You look to what happened the year before, or 10 years before, or what was happening while he was there for two months. He was receiving all of these things. And indeed, the NCAA bylaws enumerate all of these things that he got. Coaching, practicing, nutrition, training, physical training, all of these things. And they say to this university, you can't give him more than what we're going to allow. Every day, each student athlete at Louisville's name is on the board and the number of hours depend uh, devoted to coaching, weight training, nutrition, practice sessions, strategy sessions, all of that's enumerated because you can't give them more, NCAA says, than what we say you can because they know the university will push them to the limit and beyond the limit if they can because that makes them a better athlete, makes them win more games, more money coming in from the box office. So even though things are guaranteed are limited. Uh, Let's see what uh, Mr. Taft has to say about this. Thank you, Your Honor. Mr. Wilkins, you save some time. Mr. Taft? Good morning, Your Honor, and may it please the court. Uh, Good to have you here, sir. Will Taft, uh, uh, on behalf of the defendant at police, including our client Adidas America Incorporated, I'm joined here today by Nathan Richards, my colleague. Uh, this case uh, presents four core questions, whether appellant had a contractual right under a scholarship agreement to a spot on the men's basketball team at Louisville. Second, whether he had a right to participate in interscholastic sports derived from some other source. Uh, third, whether he had a right to be selected in the first round of the 2019 NBA draft. Uh, and fourth, whether any of the injuries uh, alleged by appellant were directly and actually caused by the alleged predicate scheme. Uh, uh, Judge, uh, Judge Anderson below uh, correctly uh, dismissed this case for lack of standing. It, the summary judgment was bifurcated, and he was addressing only the standing uh, issue. I, I say that because the so RICO the, predicate is contested. So in the, the, the standing is the only issue we face? Uh, correct. Yes, Your Honor. Although standing both the, uh, uh, the lack of an injury to business or property uh, and also the parties have briefed the lack of direct and proximate causation. The, I just say that because, uh, to be clear, the, the fact of a, a RICO predicate having been committed is contested, and if this ever went back to Judge Anderson, uh, there would be no, some No, but if judgment. we ruled that Judge Anderson was wrong and that he has standing, it'll, it has to go back. There's a further phase of summary judgment. The rest of their stuff. We don't have anything else to deal with beyond standing today. Correct, Your Honor. So, so turning to the contract, uh, it's... Pat, can I just ask you before that, because yes. I was, this is not an area out of background. When we're talking about standing here, this is not like standing, standing. This is just the way that courts sometimes use jurisdiction when they don't really mean jurisdiction. This is just a question about whether he states a claim under RICO. That's right? correct. It's, okay. sta it's a statutory element of the claim. Uh, it is, it can be waived. It is not jurisdictional. Um, and so, so turning to the contract, it's, it's undisputed that Louisville complied with all of the express terms of the scholarship agreement. Uh, there's no ambiguity 
on the contract, and therefore the interpretation really stops there under Kentucky law. You look at the plain language, uh, and then you stop. Uh, what Appellant is arguing is that there's an implied right uh, in this contract to be on the team and to receive various basketball benefits. This same argument has been considered and rejected by multiple courts, including Jackson v. Drake University, which involved a Division I basketball player on scholarship who had told, been told he would be a star, um, who claimed uh, that he had a right under his scholarship agreement uh, to play, and the court disagreed. You had the same result in Hysaw v. Washburn, University District of Kansas, uh, 1987, involving football scholarship players, and even the case cited in uh, the reply brief by appellant Brands v. Sheldon uh, uh, doesn't state that a scholarship gives you a right to play on the team uh, and indeed acknowledges that there is no general right to participate in interscholastic sports. The, the proffered distinction between uh, tender agreements... There's a right to try. Is there a right to try? Right to try. There, there's, un, well, under, under the... That's con what these young men yes. and young women seek to do. And they have a right to make efforts. And they have a right, I would think, to have the people they're dealing with be honest. And there's a lot of stuff in this record that stinks. Your Honor, looking at the contract, though, um, uh, as the, uh, the court 10th Circuit held in, in Colorado Seminary, the, the right of a scholarship athlete to play on the team is no more than the right of a walk-on because the contract doesn't give you a spot uh, on the team. Um, uh, the, the implications of Appellant's argument would be that any time a player gets cut or any time a coach doesn't run enough plays, for the player or he's asked to play a, a position other than what he wants to play is a breach of contract claim. And again, we don't see those claims because the rights under these scholarship agreements don't exist. There was nothing different about Bowen's uh, scholarship agreement. Uh, uh, all, as Alston pointed out, uh, you know, all the defining characteristic of these scholarship agreements is that players are offering uh, their athletic services in exchange for tuition, room and board, money. The schools want the best players. The schools want to get the good players to come to them. And under this record, folks are out there paying off the parents to attract the students, the student athletes, and get them there. We're talking about an 18-year-old. Um, as I say, there's a bunch of, there's a lot of stuff here that stinks. The, those are, uh, again, those, those are the, the factual allegations. Uh, and for purposes of this well, summary we judgment, we're accepting, we're accepting those as true for purposes of this summary well, we judgment. We take them as true for purposes of this case. But, so for purposes of this appeal, true, but does not support RICO standing. Because, again, no, no contract right to play. Well, no maybe, general right to play. You might be right on the legal point. You may, maybe you're right. But there's much stuff here that stinks. I, I hope I'm right on the legal point. And, and, and the courts that have, have looked Rico at... Wasn't, Rico was supposed to be organized crime. That's what, they were, that's what it's called, or what it was for. I was around when it started. Uh, and and, and the, the class of private plaintiffs who have causes of action is extremely limited, including by this, this standing requirement. Hard to qualify. You have to have all these predicate acts, which have to be criminal acts. And there's a specified types of criminal acts, different statutes. But mail fraud and wire fraud and robbery and those kinds of things are within those acts. And, and again, we're, 
we're conceding for purposes of this appeal on summary judgment that there was a RICO predicate, not, uh, uh, but only for, for this appeal. But even so, he can't direct, establish causation Mr. Taft, can I ask harm. you the same question I asked your friend on the other side? I saw a lot of briefing about what property means under RICO, but I saw candidly very little briefing about what the word business means under RICO. What does Adidas think business means, and why do you think that he doesn't show? So I, 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 I'm quite familiar with your argument that he's not shown injury to his property. What is your argument that he hasn't shown injury to his business? Well, his, his business, uh, to the extent he, he had a business as a pre-professional amateur athlete, uh, uh, his business interest was receiving what he was entitled to under his scholarship, which he did. In this case, it would be a room and board And why? Tuition. Because he, I, I guess what I'm saying is when Rico uses business or property, basic principles of statutory construction tell me that business can't simply just mean property. It has to mean something that is a non-complete Venn diagram overlap with the word property. What do you think business covers that property doesn't? So let me give a few examples. If a, uh, if a company is deprived of the services of its employees uh, because they're being intimidated uh, by a racketeering uh, scheme, uh, they, uh, it'd, be, it'd, be a pity your, it'd be a pity if your employees didn't show up to work tomorrow, something like well, that. Well, this is a, there's a, a National Organization of Women uh, case which involved an alleged scheme uh, interfering with uh, employees at an abortion clinic. And that was held to interfere with the right of, of, uh, of that company to the services of its employees. There are cases holding that uh, lost past profits, uh, sort of lost business uh, that uh, deals that would have happened in the past. American Honda from the, uh, 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 Maryland finds that that, you know, I think it's hard to say that I have a property interest in a, a sale that I didn't make. Uh, but that is a business harm because I have an active operating uh, business. Uh, appellant was receiving everything he possibly could have received in terms of, of uh, uh, compensation uh, for his uh, uh, tendering his athletic services. He had a max deal, and the University of Louisville had told him in writing, uh, at JA uh, 751, I believe, that he would be entitled to keep his scholarship if he chose to stay. He so then let me give you that hypo. So this is the hypo that I'm, I'm having candidly a little trouble with. Um, so I understand your guy never played a minute of Division I college basketball, and your whole point, I think, is everything is super speculative. Who knows what's going to happen, right? But imagine someone, um, there was that player at Duke a number of years ago who, like, literally every single person on earth knew was going to be the number one draft pick, right, who was drafted by the New Orleans team. And imagine that the week before the draft, a RICO enterprise proceeds to do a series of crimes that are predicate offenses. It's a RICO enterprise. They do a whole series of crimes that are clearly RICO predicates designed to destroy his draft stock one week before the draft. Has that person been injured in his business? And if so, what's the categorical difference between that person and this person? I think it would matter what, what steps, what the causal connection is. Oh, no, he's going to be drafted, like, literally next week, number one in the NBA draft. And, and, and a, someone's going to do a series of RICO predicates I mean, designed to make sure that doesn't happen. They break his leg or they do a, a, an incredibly elaborate libel scheme designed to destroy his reputation and try and tank his draft stock or something like that. Uh, again, I mean, the, the, the requirement under slays for proximate cause is that the uh, injury be suffered at the first step. Um, uh, and that it not just be uh, foreseeable, but really... Oh, no, no, the whole step. point of this RICO enterprise is to destroy this person's draft stock. That's the reason for the RICO enterprise. Okay. Uh, even then, 
I would say that his injury is a mere expectation because he doesn't have the contract yet. Um, and uh, he has an expectancy, a, a genuinely held expectancy, uh, 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 but that is not uh, property. At that point, uh, he... Uh, no, I agree it's not property. At, at that point, right. he may be in the business uh, because right. he, he's no longer uh, an amateur. That's what I'm saying. I've declared he's for the declared draft. For the I've draft. committed myself so, to the life course. So I, I admit it's a, it's a closer case uh, because he has uh, uh, declared for the draft at that point, and he is, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, in the process of he's, he's, he would have signed contracts that uh, uh, require him to, to uh, uh, do certain things with respect to the NBA. But I don't think um, uh, he had, he can say that he was had an entitlement uh, to be selected first. I don't think he could say he had an entitlement to be selected in the first round. Um, but why does injury in my business require an entitlement? I don't have an entitlement to have customers come into my store, but if a RICO enterprise intimidates all of my customers, I still have been injured in my business, you told me. If you, ha if you have an active business at that point, you do have a, a, a concrete financial harm. And again, it's, it's looking back to the concrete financial harm, and the closer you get to actually uh, uh, being employed, uh, and, and actually um, uh, having a contractual right to salary, the, the closer you get to being able to establish a business arm. I, I agree that the, the cases do not spend a lot of time, uh, and it's not uh, the briefs aren't ignoring cases, to my knowledge, because the courts haven't spent a lot of time distinguishing business and property. But we know uh, that mere expectancies uh, are insufficient. We know uh, that hoped-for outcomes uh, are not sufficient. And that's both true with respect to defining the business or property interest. Uh, Mark Antonio, Western District of Virginia, in 2015 involved a scholarship uh, student who was not able to participate on the UVA swim team. He said, I, well, I've got expect, uh, an expectancy. I, I want to do this for my professional career. And he sued under a Virginia business conspiracy, which had the same business and property uh, requirement. There the court said that your expectancy in your future career uh, is insufficient. Swimming's not quite comparable to NBA basketball. Maybe in dollars. What's Adidas into all this for? Trying to sell shoes? What are you, what are you trying to market besides shoes? Excuse me, Your Honor? Adidas, what, they, they're trying to sell shoes? So, so Adidas, what it is? Adidas is, a, is an apparel uh, manufacturing right. company. But they're, right, but they're, and, and they're competing with Nike and, and, and you and you get these you sign up the college basketball teams because you want to market shoes around the world to young people. Uh, the the college uh, 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 sponsorships are are part of marketing and they're they're part of supporting sports. And and then then you, then you get into underhanded activity that uh, contravenes a lot of these statutes that are identified in the RICO statute as predicate acts. Yeah, yes, Your Honor. And, Somebody and, needs to, they need some lawyers to advise them ahead of time, I would think. And, and the question is uh, how far uh, down the causal chain and how attenuated uh, is the harm uh, that is actionable. Before we, oh, and this, young man's, this young man is on the end of it. He's, in my view, he's a, he's a victim of all of it. A lot of them come from underprivileged areas. Under, underprivileged kids. That's the only opportunity in life. As, as Judge Anderson said, there's no doubt that his 
expectations about how his path to the NBA would unfold uh, were, were uh, d disrupted. Uh, but again, he made it to the NBA and he didn't have a right under his contract or under this court's precedent in equity and athletics, uh, the, fourth, uh, the Tenth Circuit decision in Colorado Seminary to participate in interscholastic sports. I, I would like to say a word about Alston, uh, given the, the focus that it gets. Alston is an important antitrust case, but it doesn't address business or uh, property standing uh, at all. It wasn't challenged by the NCAA, and neither the District Court, Ninth Circuit, nor the Tenth Circuit addressed it. Uh, but the harm being alleged in Alston is important. Is your hypothesis the NCAA just overlooked a winning statutory standing argument? If, if the court had addressed it, uh, uh, hypothetically, they would have seen, I think, that the student-athletes in that case were asking for money, or at least arguing that the antitrust uh, violation had resulted in them receiving less money for contracts that they had entered into. Uh, and again, that is not the harm that Appellant is claiming here. Appellant is claiming uh, that he was harmed by not being able to play. Uh, uh, but again, we've seen the contract on its face no right to a spot on the what team. What is your response to plaintiff's argument um, comparing NCAA eligibility to a business license, like an FAA uh, certificate? So, so having uh, uh, having an FAA certificate. First of all, I, I haven't seen any cases sort of drawing that 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 analogy. But uh, uh, an FAA certificate, I would say, um, you know, is required in order to uh, fly a jetliner, uh, but it doesn't give you a right to a job at an airline, uh, and it doesn't uh, <coughs> to lose it. Um, uh, I, I'm not sure that you would have uh, been deprived of, of a, a property right. Now, if, you, if because you lost it, you lost your job and you lost your salary, that would be a, proper, that would be a concrete financial harm. Uh, but again, Appellant didn't lose his salary. He was entitled to keep everything uh, uh, under the scholarship agreement. So that the he real was problem, the real distinction I'm hearing in this response and in the response to Judge Hyten's questions has to do with the business in which he's engaged. Is he, he's currently engaged in business as a college athlete, but he had only an expectancy of being in the business of being a professional athlete. Yes, Your Honor. Okay. And, and again... And the eligibility certificate, Mr. Wilkins says. That's, that's the interest. That is, well, again, and, and courts who you have looked at eligibility have the, found that it's... You all undermined his eligibility by paying off his father under the table. Eligibility entitles you to a you know, receive a scholarship to, agreement. It entitles you to go to school and play basketball. Well, it, it doesn't, Your Honor. Well, it, it, it entitles you to a scholarship, which he got. But every time uh, the case is looking at loss of eligibility... Uh, a Colorado Seminary. You be eligible in order to play. You need to be eligible in order to That's play. But if eligible you, to order to play. That's what it is. Eligibility to play. Well, it's... You say he might not make a team. Maybe he won't. He might get hurt. He might, he might have played and played badly. Right. We, we don't know. But he, but he can't play unless he's eligible. Right. But the loss of that ability to play in NCAA sports is not... A, um, a, a tangible, concrete financial harm, provided you're you're getting everything you're entitled to under the scholarship. Uh, Parish uh, uh, Robert Parrish, the chief uh, in the Fifth Circuit, was found not to have a property interest in his future professional career.
when he was withheld from NCAA tournament games. Uh, this court looked at the same thing in, in equity and athletics, uh, finding that the, uh, uh, the fact that James Madison University eliminated certain uh, athletics teams, preventing their scholarship athletes from competing in those, on those teams, uh, did not implicate property interests in that case. Were those RICO cases? Those were not. They, they were due process cases. But again, uh, courts look at uh, uh, due process cases. They look at state law to, to figure out uh, the scope of rights protected uh, under RICO. Uh, if I can turn uh, quickly to two remaining points. Uh, on the NBA draft, uh, it's absolutely disputed uh, as a factual matter, uh, or was, that uh, uh, he would have been drafted had he been able to play in the NCAA. Uh, but moving beyond... Uh, uh, he was one of the best high school players in the country, wasn't he? He, he, was, he was ranked high and had an expectancy of playing, but he admitted that he had no right at his deposition to play. His agent admitted, or started to be drafted, his agent uh, admitted he had no right to be drafted. That's at uh, JA 502 and JA 1230. And they both admitted that there are multiple factors that go into whether or not was, a player gets drafted. He was thought by a lot of people to be a real good prospect. That's the reason they were paying off his daddy to get him in school, the, the, get him in the right place. And, and again, the, the, these, were, these were expectations. Uh, they were not entitlements by his own admission. They were acts, of, which they say are predicate acts to a, a federal crimes, that, to a RICO violation, So uh, paying off his father. That that is that is the allegation, but well, how far? Well, it's but, the but allegation, that, and we take it as true. It's not an allegation for the for us. It's it's on I, this record. It's taken as true. It's taken as true that it's a RICO it's predicate. Taken as true. But what Judge Anderson looked at was also that payment. What are the direct consequences of that payment? A direct consequence of that payment is not right. that he didn't well, get some, drafted. Some direct consequences ought to be that some people go to the penitentiary. And and and, uh, and defendants and, have and companies like Adidas clean up their act. And cer certain of the defendant appellees whether it, have whether this whether this young fellow gets anything or not. But there there's something needs to be cleaned up. So so uh, in in that sense, the the purpose of uh, uh, you know there there are defendant appellees who were charged, who were uh, uh, convicted, and who are serving sentences. Not. Not Adidas, but again, that that purpose, that need, has been well. Has Adidas been met. shouldn't be falsifying records. <clears throat> they they should not be falsifying their records to cover up payoffs. Uh, to 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 turn to uh, very briefly, and I know I'm I'm over time. Uh, an alternative ground of affirmance is the proximate cause and but for cause. The record uh, shows very clearly. Uh, 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 and really undisputed that uh, uh, Brian Bowen had lost his eligibility long before the alleged RICO scheme by his father receiving payments from Christian Dawkins and his high school coach. Uh, uh, again, uh, the hearsay objection that's raised in the, in the reply brief was not raised below uh, and is waived. Uh, and uh, our brief, uh, our opposition brief, lays out uh, uh, the evidence uh, that Judge Anderson uh, could have uh, relied on that's undisputed, establishing his lack of eligibility, including the NCAA rules and the un unrebutted declaration of uh, Professor Petuto as to how those bylaws apply. Um, uh, finally, the, the other injuries with respect to 
is the $750 of, of attorney's fees that he paid uh, weeks before summary judgment uh, briefing started and years after the services were alleged. Uh, the record before Judge Anderson shows that his father paid the attorney's fees, that the attorney was not seeking payment on that 2018 invoice. Uh, uh, clearly, this was a voluntary payment. Uh, and the uh, decision after summary judgment was, was issued to uh, uh, waive privilege with respect to an engagement letter that they had previously withheld in order to support uh, a showing of, of direct personal uh, financial injury um, uh, was, was untimely. Under this court uh, uh, rule in JTH tax, that information was uh, available to appellant. Indeed, they made a decision not to waive privilege and only uh, attempted to introduce it after on a motion for reconsideration. Uh, but even the, the, the lawyer fees in general, uh, as uh, uh, courts have held, including straight, in straits amusements, when you hire a lawyer to remediate harm suffered as a result of a RICO violation, that breaks the causal chain. So even if you were allowed to consider um, uh, uh, that, that evidence and that $750 payment, you still... Uh, would not have RICO standing. Unless the court has other questions, I will mm -hmm. I'll sit down. Thank you very much, Mr. Taft. Thank you, Your Honor. I Mr. Wilkins? misunderstood my colleague, so I want to be sure that the record is straight. The certificate of eligibility was absolutely required before Brian would even be considered by any basketball team in the NCAA to play ball. Once you get that certificate, the door is open, and he was then offered this athletic tender agreement. And under Kentucky law, in the Henry Conco case, cited on page seven of our brief, an agreement will imply an obligation to carry out the purpose for which the contract is made, and how do you find the purpose? You look to tradition, you look to the intent of the parties, you look to custom. And indeed, when Brian was <clears throat> ineligible, the athletic department, the assistant, sent this letter out to all the coaches, and he said, Brian is ineligible. And he's ineligible to participate in practice, conditioning. He no longer can participate in weight training, sport performance, skill instruction, strategy instruction, and other countable activities. All of these things were given to all of these athletes, past and present, who had, were certificately eligible and had signed the athletic agreement. And this is the agreement that Brian signed. It's a no-cut four-year contract. Only 4% 4 of basketball players get a contract like this. Usually it's a one-year. And he cannot be cut for any athletic reason. This was a right that he had. It was a property interest. And this idea that he got everything he bargained for, that he gave his labels for this scholarship, that, has, that was incidental to him going to the University of Louisville. He got a lot more than an academic scholarship. He got the right to have the best coaching and all of these other accountable activities that I've mentioned. Now, <clears throat> when Brian was 16 years old, it's alleged, and it's highly disputed whether or not the facts even come close to a violation of the NCAA rules, that his father received money from a, a runner for a, some kind of firm that tried to represent athletes after they got to the NBA, 
as well as a high school coach for expenses and other things. It has never been determined by anyone, any entity, any panel, anything, that this was a violation of any NCAA rule. But yet they say, we can, we can bribe him all the time because he had already accepted bribes when Brian was 16 years old. <clears throat> now, if you look at the difference, if you read the NCAA rules, there's a huge difference between an amateur status, which Brian was as a high school student, and an enrolled student athlete, which he was when he signed that athletic tender agreement and entered the University of Louisville. The rules are much stricter for those people in that category than those athletes who are high school students. And the expert testimony, John Carnes, he's the compliance officer. He knows the rules. That's what he's been doing for 20 years. He said, no, it is not an automatic uh, render a student ineligible if they had an amateur status, a high school student, and their daddy does something that may look like it's improper. Because things can happen. Eligibility can always be given. It may be a condition, like you got to pay the money back, you got to sit out the first four games, and stuff like that. But to say that they could, with impunity, bribe his father and suffer no consequences because when he was 16 years old, his daddy may have taken some money for expenses and so forth, which is highly disputed whether that would ever, ever render him ineligible. <clears throat> what Adidas did when they <clears throat> paid that bribe, or had it paid to his father, they destroyed his, in, his eligibility at that moment. He was rendered ineligible right then. And that then, of course, was direct. <clears throat> Cause of that was the loss of his athletic tender agreement and his future to play in the NBA. The difference that the district court and what Adidas has seized upon is the constitutional right The, the lack of a constitutional right to play basketball. Of course you don't have a constitutional right to play basketball, to be out there on the court. But Brian Boyne had a right to be on the team, to receive all of the benefits that all the players, his 13, 12 other teammates received he had a right to that, a property right to that, and that bribe took it away. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Wilkins. We very much appreciate the argument of counsel and the written submissions and, the, uh, and having you with us today. And uh, I wish we could come from the bench and, and greet you in the well of the court, as this court has done in its existence until this pandemic, and we're not doing that now. But we're going to have you back sometime, and we'll be able to, to do that. But uh, we'll shake hands with you from here, and it's good to see all of you, and, and thanks so much. <laughs>